Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. Last we left off was K-Breakout, which was a little video game, past the time kind of video game, casual thing. Uh, this time, next up, is K-Bruch, that's K-B-R-U-C-H. I don't know how to say it. I don't know what it refers to. It's probably a math term, maybe. Um, K-Bruch is a, it's an educational application. It, it tells you, it, it is meant to help you learn to add, subtract, and, and just sort of act do, do mathematical functions on fa uh, uh, fractions, not factions, but fractions. So there are two modes when you launch K-Bruch, and one is learning, and the other is exercise. Not in that order, interestingly. Exercise comes first, and then learning comes second, which struck me as odd. You click on learning, and it is a um, a bright interface, which goes against my system theme, so I'm not sure why it is a light interface. It is so light, in fact, that the buttons don't show up. Like, the buttons, the text on the buttons cannot, it, it's not visible. I, I didn't even notice that there were buttons until I noticed that there's a little separator line in the toolbar, and I thought, well, that's usually in a toolbar, and then I rolled over the buttons, and I saw that they were there were buttons there. But it wasn't all that much, it wasn't very useful to me, because apparently the learning side of this application has no sort of lesson plan. It presents you with exactly one informations, and that's kind of it. It is really, really useful information. It's a really great visual representation of what a fraction is, or at least I found it to be a great representation. And for instance, in, in, in what I'm seeing in front of me right now, I have two-sixths plus one-half. That's the that's the sample equation. There's no place to answer this. It's, it is just the numbers. And under the numbers, each of the numbers, there's an expand um, combo box. Right now it's set to 1, so you can set it up to 2, 3, 4. And as you go up in, in expand, I don't know why it's called expand, but that's what it's called. As you go up, as you increment, it, it increments the... Um, factor, I think, the factor of the fraction. Is that is that right terminology? I don't know. It makes the it makes the fraction uh um bigger. Like it's 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 you're finding the common denominator is what I'm trying to say. So instead of one sixth when you expand it oh sorry, two sixths, when you expand it, it becomes four twelfths, which of course is the equivalent of two sixths. You can expand it again to get a six eighteenth, which again it's the equivalent. So you do that on one side of the equation, and as you're doing that, the little pie chart showing you two sixths of a pie expands into four twelfths of a pie, and then six eighteenths of a pie, and so on. So you're seeing the fraction sort of get divided in a different way, but you can tell that it's the same amount because the the pie doesn't get any bigger. Well, there's an inside track as well representing the other fraction, which currently is one half. So it's just one big red half of a pie. Now, if I expand this side, it starts to get divided up. And once again, you can tell 
that it's the same amount of pi because it doesn't get any physically bigger. It's just divided in different ways. And of course, as you get up to six twelfths to match your four twelfths, you've just found the common denominator. And now all the slices match up and you can, you can kind of, you can see how one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten twelfths would be the answer to the equation of two-sixths plus one-half. And this application demonstrates pretty clearly, I, I would say, why that's true. Now what it doesn't demonstrate, and I find this a little bit odd about the, the lesson choice here, is what the solution is. Like, it never sort of, when you reach the, the right common denominator, for instance, it doesn't, like, give you a green award button, you know, or, or anything like a little badge that says, yes, you found the common denominator and you're, you're probably, you, you've, you've probably reached the conclude, the correct conclusion that the solution to this question is 10 over 12. It never gives you the positive reinforcement or, or let's say you reached the common denominator and then you weren't sure what to do. Is the answer 10, 24s here? Is that, is that, does that doesn't, really makes sense, but you could see someone coming to that conclusion because it's, okay, I found the common denominator, great, now I add them up, I guess, both, you know, so I can see how people who maybe have even less experience with fractions than I do, and that's saying something, um, could get it confused, and there's no positive reinforcement, there's no guidance here, I found that a little bit odd. Okay, so that's the lesson. That That's exactly the lesson. Like, there are no other lessons. You can click the new button all you want. You get no new information about anything. It just keeps telling you to try to expand fractions, and you can expand them to your heart's content. There there will never be any reassurance about what what you have learned. It's just counting on you to to take away I guess what they're hoping you take away. Okay, so that's that. That's the lesson. File back takes you back to your main screen where you can choose between exercises and learning. Exercises um, is exactly what it sounds like. It's it's a it, it poses a problem for you in in one panel. It gives you some options in another panel, and you're meant to type in the solution. And that's it. I don't find this this section very friendly to use myself. I, I, maybe it's just my style of of learning and doing math, but there's no like there's not really any scratch area. I can't I can't sort of I can't make the adjustments like the expansions to find the better denominator um, live in this interface. So you know I I. I if I've just learned what I learned in the learning section and I take it over here to the exercise section, I essentially, I'm just kind of, just have to do it myself, which, I don't know, it can get complex, you know, like, here's one-third minus one-half, so I know that we need to come up with a common denominator, so that would be like, let's see, one one-third, so that would be two-sixths, and then that would be three-sixths, so two minus three is going to be negative one-sixth check that and it says that's correct but i don't know i feel i feel like that is i mean it's nice that it confirms that that is correct for me it does give me a big green badge it says correct it adds to my total score at the bottom so i mean there there are definitely nice sort of reassurances that you're on the right track but i i think that could get pretty complex so I don't know. I, I don't love the exercise portion quite as much as I appreciate the the lesson 
the, the, the one lesson of the learning section. And that's all there is. That, that's the application. It is a very focused application. I imagine for some learning styles, that's probably really, really good. For other learning styles, that might only be good in terms of, you know, maybe the, the visual display of the lesson, or, or maybe some people appreciate the, 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 the sort of the, what is it? The drilling, the, the, the repetition of the exercise section. Um, either way, I mean, it's, it's a nice little math application. You take what you, you get from it and, and it's, it's, it's either useful or not, but it is there. And that is K Bruch. Next up is K Cash Grind. I can't, I can't use this. Um, not really. I mean, K Cash Grind says it's a graphical browser for, data produced by profiling tools such as Valgrind. Well, Valgrind doesn't come with KDE. This is a, an application that, that, that assumes that you're doing like C++ programming and as part of, part of, of that, that you're also, um, debugging things with Valgrind. I, I've heard a lot of great things about Valgrind, but it's not a part of Slackware, and so I'm going to, well, I'm not going to install it and then do a demo of it, because I think I, that's a different segment. That's a different podcast. That's when, when I'm done Slackware and want to go through slackbuilds.org, then that, that'll be something that I cover then. So all I'll say about, um, K Cash Grind is that it is a visual, a visual, uh, a graphical application that helps you gain insight into output of a of a debugging tool called Valgrind. And I think these tools are really, really nice. Um, I kind of classify this along with, let's say, uh, just flew out of my mind, what is it? Um, Plotlib, um, GNU Plot, like little applications like that, that take the output of, you know, the, the raw data of very, very useful tools but allows you to kind of look at it in a different way. Even heck, like file light, for instance, where you can take the essentially the output of du and 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 look at it through file light. I mean, that's not exactly true because file light um, has its own method of, of doing things. So you're not actually like collecting raw data from du and 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 looking at it through file light, but you're getting the same information through file light. But that's the idea, right? Is that you that you can use these graphical tools to just help you gain different viewpoints around data that you care about. And just because you care about data doesn't mean you can parse it easily. It just means that you care about the data. Having these tools helps you look at your data meaningfully. And, you know, sometimes we have different, you have a different, you need different information from the same data depending on what you're looking for. So that's kind of important too, because sure, maybe the output of, of your debugger is perfectly fine when it's just telling you that a library is missing or you have the wrong runtime installed or whatever. Whereas when you're trying to figure out why your application crashes in, t- you know, 10 minutes after usage, then maybe you need a, you, you need the data from a debugger, but you're, you're no longer looking at the simple stuff like, why won't this launch? Instead, you're looking at the, the, the exact memory footprint or, or, or the, you know, the, the logging output of your garbage collection or, or whatever. So very, very appreciated, but not something I can demonstrate without Valgrind installed. Okay. KCalc is a calculator for KDE. This is an application I use quite a lot. It is one of those applications I don't intend to use ever. Um, there's really a nice feature in KDE 
if you open up the K menu and you hit equals one plus two, it it just it runs that through a calculator for you, or you know you could do two five five divided by thirty three, and that runs that through the calculator for you and just delivers the message right there in your little K menu. So you don't really need a, a graphical calculator for for a lot of the quick and dirty sort of calculations that you do. What I do though, in, in practice, rather than hitting K menu and hitting equals and then the equation that I want. I hit the K menu and I type in C-A-L-C for calc. K-calc comes up first right before Libre calc, LibreOffice calc. And then I launch K-calc. And I do the equation there or the, the, yeah, the math problem there. I don't know why I do it. It's just, it's habit. I think I, I started using K-calc before the menu had that function maybe, or, or maybe it was just before I knew that it had that function. And that is a, an extra function sort of. You have to, you have to enable that uh, configure application launcher. Just right click on your K menu and under, where is it actually? I don't, I don't actually configure enabled search plugins. Maybe it's in K runner. That's what it, where it is. K runner has a bunch of, and that's in system settings, has a bunch of different plugins. And one of those plugins is a calculator plugin. And that's, that's what gives you the equals, you know, the, the auto toward a calculation response. Um, but kcalc is quite nice, and there are a couple of different modes, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes, there are. So in the menu of kcalc, there's a simple mode, there's a science mode, there's a statistic mode, and a numeral system mode. Uh, you can show the history. Uh, so you have a little, you know, uh, tape, little ticker tape, whatever they're called, the tape on a accounting calculator. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a calculator. I mean, so if I do 56 uh, plus 23 and then hit enter, I get 79. One thing that I've always struggled with is how to clear the calculator after you do that. So the the way that you do it, I, I generally think, oh, just hit C because that's what it is on the calculator. Well, no, it's actually escape. If you hit escape, then that, that, triggers the C button. So that's a very useful, I guess, little tip right there. Um, this is on the simple mode. If you go to settings and click over to the scientific mode, then you get a bunch of other functions that you're able to use. You get, uh, you know, things like sine and cosine and tangent and uh, square, uh, yeah, square, uh, square, a square button, a button to square a number. You know, you hit something like, um, oops, yeah, you hit something like five and then the square button and you get 25. Except the square button's completely gone. I don't know where it went. How did I? How did I just? Oh, I shifted. I, I clicked the shift key, um, and that's something. That's something to be aware of. I guess there's a shift key in the science mode. So uh, when you click the shift key, uh, not not the shift key on your keyboard, but the shift button on the scientific calculator, you get still more functions. So if if what you got before wasn't enough, then you, you get additional ones. Like you can, instead of a square button, you have x to the power of 1 divided by y, I guess. I've, I, that's beyond me. Uh, you get things like a cube root instead of like a square root. You know, little things like that. Stuff that I literally don't even know, like, why they're there. I, I wouldn't know what to do with those buttons. Uh, which is why I generally keep mine in simple mode. Uh, statistical mode has yet more functions, but probably I would think, um, more, uh, focused on, on, I guess, whatever you need for statistics, um, which, which is, is, is nice. 
Uh, and then again, the shift key exists so you can add still more buttons over there. So that's, that's pretty much, I mean, that's the fancy stuff about, about this calculator. You can configure the keyboard shortcuts. So if you are, I don't know, maybe you're, maybe you live on your numpad and for whatever reason, you know, maybe the escape button is too far away to, to get the clear, to, to hit clear. So maybe there's another button closer by that you would want to use as the clear button or something like that. You can configure that. It's again in settings. There's also just a configuring kcalc itself, which lets you change the font and the, diff uh, the all the different colors that you use, the predefined constants, um, grouping of, of digits based on binary, octal, and hexadecimal, the maximum number of digits, the, d the decimal precision, and so on. So you can, you can really, really um, customize this. It's, it's really cool. You can even, one of my favorite, not that it's really all that useful, I don't think, but one of my favorite functions is, or, or features is that you can change it so that it shows the result of your calculation in the window title. Not, not super important to be honest, but just kind of a nice feature, just kind of a cool, why didn't anyone else think of that ever before? So that's kcalc. It is a very straightforward calculator, but a really nice one. Like I, I enjoy kcalc, I guess a lot because I use it every time I need to add or subtract or divide or multiply. Um, and it, it is definitely one of those little applications that you, you don't really think about that often until uh, until you need it. And, you know, I mean, I think I've talked about previously sort of the, 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 the weirdness that BC represents and the way that so many of us Unix users sort of learned BC is the way that you do math on your computer and and just how bad it really is. And I've done a whole episode on BC and and how not to use BC and how you're supposed to use BC and all these other things and you know ultimately uh, you you really do I, at least I do I want math to be easy when I'm on a, when I'm at a computer because as we all I think know a computer is literally just a calculator like that that is all it does that is that's what it's built to do it it it, it manipulates numbers so those really really normal sort of like i should know the answer to this but i'm being uh, lazy and i just want the computer to do it for me it should be really easy to get to and and that's what kcalc does it, it makes it really easy to do those basic maths which is appreciated and now i'm going to go have a basic cup of coffee, which is also going to be appreciated. You should go get coffee too. We'll come back and continue more applications on Slackware Linux. back. I have a cup of coffee here. Um, this is Jed's coffee. Uh, Jed isn't, well, Jed might be a person. It's not a person I know. It is a vendor of coffee here in New Zealand. And I really struggled with Jed's because for the longest time I would, I would, I would buy it and I just wasn't making it the right way, honestly, is what it boils down to. 
so to speak. Um, I, I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. I mean, it is a very fine grain coffee, finely ground. They sell it in bags of this is finely ground, this or, you know, this is for a, a plunger. This is for a, um, like a, an espresso machine. This is for something else. Doesn't matter what you buy. It's all fine ground to me. It seems like it to me. And the roast is pr- fairly dark no matter what, uh, which, you know, I have no problem with if it gets too dark. Sometimes I have a problem with it just based on it just being too sort of harsh. But it just didn't, I don't know, it didn't have a, a sort of, it was a very harsh flavor. And I just thought maybe Jed's was bottom of the barrel. And it, I mean, it may well be, I don't know. But um, Jed's on a stovetop espresso maker is really, really good. That's the that's the end of the story, really. Is if you're in New Zealand, you buy Jed's coffee. If you're going, if you do that, should you attempt that, then you want to make it in a stovetop espresso maker or a, a mocha pot, whatever they call it. Um, I, I guess they call it mocha pot now. I still call it a stovetop espresso machine because that's or uh, maker because that's that's what I have always been told it was. So anyway, it's it's actually quite good. It's it's a refreshing, nice little, I guess, an espresso. Although again, I drink it as an americano usually. But it's still got that that flavor to it, which is really really nice and a very very enjoyable. Okay, so that's what I'm drinking. Hopefully, you've got yourself some coffee. I'm gonna read some listener email here from Dan Washko, which is a name you may well recognize. So he says, "Wow, it is almost impossible to believe you installed Linux the first time back in 2007." I would have thought it was much earlier than that. You certainly have come a long way and fast in that time. Bravo, sir. Bravo. Keep up the great work, Dan Washko. Th- thanks, Dan. Um, I wrote him back, so um, this is this actually came in weeks ago now, but uh, I've I, I had some some episodes stashed that I've been uh, posting. So um, Dan Washko, if you don't know, is from a, a podcast called Linux the Linux Link tech show, T-L-L-T-S, Tilts, uh, colloquially speaking. And it's been around for ages, Tilts has. It, it was, I I believe it was a podcast before the term podcast existed. I mean, that's how old the show is. And I, I don't mean to make it sound like it's, you know, ancient history. Um, it is just a, an, an old and venerable show. And, um, Dan is a really, really smart guy who I've met. I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting in person quite, quite a few times actually, because we've we would end up at the same tech conferences back when I lived in the U.S. and And it was Dan. I mean, I I have pilfered so much knowledge from Dan. It's it's kind of embarrassing, uh, and he probably has no no idea. He or maybe he does because I mean the information that I've pilfered from him he posted. I mean, you know, the, like he did lessons. He's done lessons online for people. Uh, and by that I mean Hacker Public Radio episodes about the boot process. One of the one of the best series on Hacker Public Radio that I've still to this day one of the best series. Um, if you haven't listened to that, it's worth listening to. Even even though System D and things like that exist now, and there might be slightly different processes, but essentially the boot process is as he describes it, and it is it's just a brilliant series. So you should go listen to that. He's he has a blog about Linux information that, you know, once again, it's like a little, some of, some of the stuff, you know, they're old articles now, and yet they're still, so many of them are still relevant because Linux just doesn't change that much, at least on the underlying side of things, which is really, really nice. So to, to get a note out of the blue from Dan Washko, 
uh, is is super nice. And then for him to say that I've come a long way um, is just really, really appreciated from, from someone who is so knowledgeable about Linux and who has so much experience um, doing doing broadcasts about Linux. It's really nice. So that's Dan. If you don't um, if you don't know Dan Washko, then yeah, check out some of his online stuff. I'll I'll, I'll link to some of the resources that I know of uh, on the on the website on the GNU World Order website. And um, and anyway, that's Dan. So uh, thank you, Dan, for for emailing that. Next up. In the list of software, of course, we left off just now with KCalc. So next up is KCalendar Core, which, as you can probably tell from that name, is um, it's a bunch of include files. So there's not a whole lot to say about it. Some library files as well, but yeah, generally speaking, it's it's a bunch of header files that I feel like we've been here before, but I, I guess it was something else, some some other PIM-related thing. But um, it this is a, a collection of header files that provides access to calendar data for your applications if you're coding something for the, the you know, th- that's going to interface at all with, with KDE framework. Um, then you get support for iCalendar and vCalendar and group scheduling standard ITIP, which I don't know what it, that that is, um, but calendaring on computers I think is relatively ugly, to be honest. I, I don't I don't love the way that that computer modern computers have implemented calendaring, and, I, and I'm comparing it interestingly to RSS or if if. RSS colloquially, what I really mean is Atom, but let's say also RSS. And to me, RSS has always been surprisingly easy in a way. And and I mean, there's a caveat there that writing RSS or even Atom, which is drastically simpler and more elegant than RSS, but writing that from scratch is difficult. And I won't you know, I won't deny that. I mean, that is difficult. It would be a lot easier, I think, if if RSS used, um, I don't know, a slightly, a, a more predictable format, which is a weird thing to say because it is predictable. There are certain tags that you can use that will be parsed. It's not that complicated. As long as you close your tags, it, it all works out. Um, as long as you use valid data in those tags, blah, blah, blah. But I, it, it can be difficult. I mean, if you asked me to sit down and write an atom feed from scratch, I would I would struggle. So, and and I do an atom feed for my podcast every week. So, I mean, of course, I've automated it out from under me, so I don't have to bother. But it 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 can be difficult. Um, but I mean, try to do an iCal event from scratch. It's it's equally as difficult and fails to work 80% of the time. Or, you know, by fails to work, I mean it doesn't do what you think it's going to do, or maybe it does, but then how do you get that to other people? And it's, it's just, it's it's really complex. And I, I keep thinking that if there was some mechanism for calendaring that either used RSS or 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 Adam really or 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 rift off of what Adam already provides i really think that would be something because and and i realize that you know there are permission problems there and concerns like just because a calendar 
is online doesn't necessarily mean that you want people to be able to see that. So you want certain events to be private and certain events not to be private and so on. So there is a lot. It's a, it is a big request here that, that you know, we're, we're asking a lot of calendaring. I just, from a, from a hobbyist developer, power user standpoint, I, I do not like how calendaring has been implemented on, on computers. I find it very obtuse and I, I'm not a fan. K Calendar Core alleviates you from having to deal with that at all, though. That's something that you do not have to concern yourself with because K Calendar Core is just going to give you that for free. You get all the header files, you, you get to reference calendaring and create calendar events and all that other stuff without ever really bothering with the details of how they're, they're created, which is huge. Okay. Next up is KCAL Util, Utils. And KCAL Utils is similar to KCAL, uh, KCalendar Core, I guess, because once again, it's a bunch of header files, a couple of libraries, some CMake, um, uh, CMake configurations. And, and once again, you, you, you inherit a bunch of utility functions for calendaring, um, actions for free by using this stuff. So you get like HTML exporting for free because you're using this header file. You get um, recurring actions for free. You get a bunch of exporting things and incidents formatters and drag and drop uh, capability and so on. So very useful, not a whole lot to talk about. Okay, let's talk about instead KCAR Select. KCAR Select is um, a pop-up well, I shouldn't say pop up. It doesn't really pop up. It is a, a little application that gives you a bunch of information about characters that you would normally be able to type potentially on your keyboard. This to me is a, a, a slightly confusing application because I feel like it is, it's a lot of information without a clear sort of deliverable but but it is a lot of information so I'm not sure how to take it I guess if you want to find if you want to see every single character a font contains this is the application for you k car select that's k c h a r as in character i guess k care select is really what it is and and it's it's pretty interesting so you 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 launch it and for whatever reason for me it starts with Noto Noto Sans as the default font. I don't know if that's just because that's the last time I used it. That's the the font that I selected or if that's because Noto Sans has the most characters available. I'm just not sure. But um it it gives me a little array of all the different characters like I say uh, that you would normally be able to type and it's a pretty nice little list of, you know, things like exclamation mark um, quote, octothorpe, dollar sign, percent, ampersand, and so on. And uh, all the way through, you know, the alphabet and stuff. So it, it's, it's nice. It shows you information about that. So in Emacs, there's a describe character function. And, and that's, I mean, that's exactly what it is over here, really. Uh, so this says that I'm, 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 I'm on the capital, um, well, let's do X. So I'm on capital X. And so it says character X, which is Unicode U plus 0058 name, Latin capital letter X, general character properties, block, basic Latin, 
Unicode category letter uppercase various useful representations. UTF-8 is 0x58. UTF-16 is 0x0058. C octal escaped. UTF-8 is backslash 130. Uh, XML decimal entity is ampersand hash 88 semicolon, uh, which, which that, that, the XML notation is really, really useful actually for um, docbook. I and mean, not so much for X, but something like, let's say, a forward slash, which, I mean, you know, in theory, there's no problem with that. But uh, I, I like to avoid them in, in docbook just because sometimes a slash in XML can sort of be misconstrued as an XML character. So that's ampersand hash uh, 47 semicolon. And similarly, you might want to um, escape or, or rather not type a, what is it, a greater than symbol? No, less, less than symbol. That's uh, ampersand hash 60 um, semicolon, whereas the, the other one, the closing tag, is ampersand hash 62 <laughs> semicolon. I have no idea why 61 is is missing. Well, I guess it isn't missing. Uh, let's look at what 61 would be. Uh, can I find that quickly? Oh, oh yes, it's sequential. Okay, so equals. Equals is 61. I, I don't use that one very much, so I didn't know that one, but that's okay, so that's why. So it's less than equals and then greater than. Good to know. Good to understand, actually. Um, yeah, so that's European script, basic Latin, noto sans. Now I could I, I could select a different set like Latin one supplement, and that gives me characters uh, that are you know uh, essentially the things that you get when you hit a compose key. So for instance, you get the scent like the sense, like the, you know, the scent sign, like a C with a line through it. You get the pound sign, like a British pound, the L, the fancy L with a line through it, uh, and so on. You get the copyright symbol, the re uh, registered, uh, registered thing symbol, uh, plus or minus sign, C with a cedilla under it, and, and, and so on. So you get all those. Um, you could select Latin extended and you get a different set of characters actually it's a no yeah it is a different set of characters okay so there's a lot of stuff there um but then you could because noto sans like i say is a, actually a, a really pretty pretty big font really uh you can select a completely different script so this is just the european scripts well what about let's say african scripts oh actually that was a really bad example there are none there okay how about middle eastern scripts there we go there are all the arabic glyphs well, I don't, I don't know if they're all of the Arabic glyphs, but they are. It's a bunch of Arabic glyphs that I cannot read. It's fascinating to look at. Asian, not so many Asian actually. Central, or that's Central Asian, South Asian. There are South Asian scripts here, so that's that, that's here. In in other words, you can cycle through, or you can just select all. All just shows you everything, uh, including the ones that aren't there, which is kind of annoying to me. But I guess it's useful data, nevertheless. Um, and so you can you can basically just see every every possible character within a font set, which is really, really useful. And in a pinch, you even kind of know how to type it, or, or rather, I should say, you know how to make it render through whatever mechanism you have at your disposal. So for me, again, I write in DocBook a lot, so I can always use the XML decimal entity to render a specific character if I don't know how else how I could get it. There's another way to get characters, though. You can select any character that you want, and then, okay, so in theory, you should be able to go to Edit to Clipboard, and that should copy that character 
In practice, that has not worked for me. I do that. I go to edit to clipboard with the thing that I think I want selected. And, and then when I paste it anywhere, I, I'm getting a W. I don't know why, but that's what I'm getting. Yeah, that's what I get. Capital W. No clue why. Um, but what does work is you can go to a character and then over on the, in the right panel where it's describing that character to you, just select the character, right click, copy, and now you can paste it into some other window and you successfully get that character from your actual clipboard. I don't know why Care Car Select would not be able to send things to my clipboard successfully, but there you go. It wasn't able to do that. It's very confusing. Not really sure what's going on there. Okay, so anyway, that's K Car Select, and that's pretty much all there is to it. Um, yeah, I don't know of any other secret abilities that this application has. I do feel like you really kind of want it to have better integration in a way than it has. You know, like, I, I keep thinking, okay, well, this is like a window full of characters, so I should be able to just, like, I don't know, double-click on it and then have that character that I just double-clicked appear in 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 a in a in the active window or something like that but maybe that would be kind of bothersome because maybe you would maybe you would sort of start to accidentally you know you'd be inserting characters by accident into all kinds of windows so maybe that would be a little bit of a bother but it's a useful little um little application it really is quite nice uh you can see see a lot of characters that you may not have even realized you had access to and like I say, you can always copy them and paste them somewhere else. So that's KCAR Select, which kind of leads nicely into KCMFCITX. Did I say that right? K, yeah, KCMFCITX. I think I said the T and the C reversed. Anyway, what is KCMFCITX? Well, to answer that question, you need to know what KCM is. And KCM, kind of hilariously, is described so K KCM is K config modules. That's what KCM stands for. K config module. You it, bizarrely the library that you use or the 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 classes in the libraries that you use to interact with that they're not called KCM. They're not called K config. They're called KC module. That's the class. So when you go to include a, a you know a, a KCM something or another. Um, you're not interacting with KCM. You're including K plugin factory. Yes, K K plugin factory, not KCM, not K config, not K config module, not KC module, but K plugin factory. And and you create a a, a plugin based on 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 that, which you can then call whatever you want. And traditionally, I guess it's KCM underscore something or another. So this is KCM FCITX, and what that does is it lets you or it helps you configure the input method for KDE and the, the 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 way that you are going to interact with this dear listener is you go to system settings and then you go to locale or something like that let's look is it locale still or have they changed it I can only imagine that they've changed it by now yes and it is regional settings now so system settings to regional settings at least at the time of this recording and then you've got a couple of different options in there specifically you've got languages and formats formats i've got set to new zealand english en underscore nz which sort of brings along with it a certain a certain um Im- implication about the currency and the time format and the numbers and so on 
Um, in this, in this case, I, there aren't actually that many overrides uh, on those. There's a measurement unit uh, implication there I'm using NZ and the collation and sorting. Uh, I believe the, the one that was available for that was the UK, you know, British system of like page sizes and things like that. So that's all set through system settings. But, you know, secretly, what's actually being, um, what, what's actually setting this is the, is the FFCITX module, which, what kind of module is it? Well, it's a kconfig module, or a kcm module, or a plugin, and you can kind of get to that place with the kcm shell 5, which is a tool to start a single system settings module. Um... So if you do, I don't know if I should be talking, should I be talking about this? Let's, let's do a less on slash var slash log slash packages, kcm fcitx dash fcitx. All that's listed here is keyboard layout viewer. So that's what I'm going to go over. But in the future, we're going to discover something called a kcm shell, and we'll take a look at that, I promise. But for this, for this one, there is a little graphical application called kbd-layout-viewer. Is there a launcher for this? Yes, there is. So if you type, if you go to your K menu and go to kbd, the, the probably what will pop up is a keyboard layout viewer, which views your keyboard layout. And it is, um, it is a display of your current keyboard, just in case you're not sure. Um, I, I imagine that this is useful in those weird cases where you accidentally have selected a keyboard that you're not familiar with, you know, like sometimes you, you, you get set over to the French keyboard for some reason, and the at symbol isn't over the two, it's over by where the quotation mark is on a QWERTY keyboard and so on. So, you know, this, this could reinforce that, yes, you're actually using a different keyboard layout. Although, strangely, it doesn't actually tell you what that keyboard layout is. Um, it's not an interactive or a terribly informative um, display. It just literally maps out the keyboard sitting in front of you, and and maybe not even entirely accurately at that. It's not like reading your physical keyboard. It is simply showing you the layout that you have elected to use in your you know as your input method. So, for instance, my physical keyboard has a control key and then an FN key, or no, sorry, that's a super key that doubles as an FN lock key. That's what that is. And then an alt key and then a space and then alt and then FN and then a LED control button and then a control key. And bottom row of this keyboard just shows me a control, shows me the meta and alt as one key and then space and then multi-key and then a control right. So that's inaccurate to my physical layout, but it's it's accurate, obviously, to sort of what it expects when I run my finger across the top row, for instance. But that's that's uh, that's KCM underscore FCITX. That's what that does for you. But like I say, you're actually interacting with it. Like for, for interaction with that module, that kconfig module, you are, you're actually going to system settings, going to regional settings, and then you're, you're manipulating input method through system settings, and that's, that's, you're, you're, you're interacting with FCITX. Uh, in other words, you're using the, the KDE module 
that provides access to FCITX. And FCITX, I don't know what it stands for, but if you go to the, the website FCITX-IM.org, it tells you on the main page that FCITX is an input method, so IM, input method framework with extension support. Framework with, ex no. Okay, I'm trying to make it fit into FCITX. Uh, currently, it supports Linux and Unix systems like FreeBSD. FCITX supports typing with many languages over the world with a large number of engines. So that's the subsystem you're interacting with when you use KCM FCITX. Okay, finally, this is the last one for this episode. We're going to do KCM Utils, which is maybe less exciting than it sounds. KCM Utils, you might think, well, surely that is going to be all about the KCM shell that I was mentioning earlier. Well, no, it's not. KCM shell is in KDE CLI tools, so we're not there yet. But KCM shell, or no, KCM Utils is a sort of a, a collection of... Uh, libraries and header files, I'm pretty sure. Let, let me look. I don't exactly remember. Didn't didn't look too long at that list. Yep, there it is. Okay, so yes, it's got a bunch of, uh, yep, K framework, uh, some, so some, some headers, and some CMake files. Got some CMake files in there. And some, some translation files. Not, not any .so's that I'm seeing. Yeah, so it's, it's just the header files, translation files, and some CMake files. Oh, and a library called KCM, called libkf5 kcmutils.so.5.90.0 for the record. So that's a collection of, of tools that oh, I forgot to look at what it says. KCM Utils provides various classes to work with KCM modules. KCM modules can be created with the kconfig widgets framework. So that's how you do a KCM module, apparently, or a, a widget, rather. Um, and I think that's it for this episode. I mean, there's next next up is K Codex, which I don't know. Maybe I'll use that as an excuse to brush off my old um, Codex talk that I gave a long, long time ago. Now, it's kind of useful. But um, K Codex is next, and then we'll be into K Color Chooser, which is a fantastic application. It's one of those those applications that kind of once you once you have it, you, you can't leave KDE. Like you get involved with K Color Chooser, and you are hooked. It is at least that's how it is for me. It, it's it's something that I just demand out of a desktop now, um, and then a lot more. So we'll we'll do that. We'll do that next next time on this very show. Thank you very much for listening. I will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open
trying to play a game with me, don't you see? 